Hey guys, welcome to the show. My name is Kristen. I'm your host and life coach, and this is Modern Day Asians. Hi everyone, my name is Kristen. You're listening to Modern Day Asians. Today I have a special guest for you. Um, she currently lives in Canada and is an author, I launched a book, and we're really just talking about her culture as a South Asian female in um, Bengali culture, and I'm super excited to have her on as we talk about her transitions in her life. She's lived in a couple of country, different countries, and um, in particular, we want to talk about some um, woman roles as what it's like to be a female uh, in, in her culture. So I'm super excited to have her on today. So um, I'm going to transition over to her so she can talk a little bit about herself. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for, for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here today. And uh, yes, so to tell you a little bit about myself, so my name is Urmi, and as Kristen said, I do live in Canada. I currently live in Montreal, and prior to moving to Montreal, I used to live in Italy. I was born and raised in Italy, and my parents are from Bangladesh, so that's where the South Asian part uh, comes from, and I like to identify myself as being Bengali by blood and Italian by birth. And now I'm also Canadian by law because I've been in Canada for such a long time. Um, I do work in the, in the financial services industry. I work for a Canadian investment management firm. And I'm also a self-published author, a speaker, a YouTuber, and blogger. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. And I wanted to start by asking you, you know, what inspired you to write your book about identity? Yes. So I... I think I always had in my bucket list that I wanted to write a book, but I was never like, I never had the timeline. I was like, yeah, I'm going to write it eventually, but I was not sure what to talk about. I wasn't sure like the topic or anything. I had, I didn't know when to do it. And then what happened is, as I started to get invited into different podcasts, I would always talk about my struggle of being a tour culture kid. And I would always talk about what it felt like being Bengali and Italian and what it felt like not fitting in anywhere. And as I was talking about this, verbally I was like you know what I think I need to have this written somewhere so that's how I was like I think I want I want to write about all these things that happened to me when I was a child I want to talk about my childhood experience in Italy and what it felt like not fitting a box and and that's how I came to to write this book and um, I remember like watching I remember reading another book which was how to write a book in 30 days so I read that and then I was like okay I think I have a clear like outline on how on how I want to start doing this so I started to read that and once I was finished with that I was like okay I think I'm going to sit down every day and write about this and the reason why I wrote about this is because I can see how there are a lot more people like me especially in um, especially in Canada I feel like there are a lot of their culture kids where often they struggle they struggle because they come they are born in a certain culture or their parents come from a different cultures and you know it just it's just like I'm not sure if I'm able to find my my place somewhere and I feel like often they struggle and I also struggle a lot with this because things like filling out the paper where they ask your nationality often I was like I'm not sure how to I don't know what to answer and often I never felt like 
identified myself with the options listed and would always like choose other and um and then I was like yeah I think I want to talk about this and um and I want to talk to talk about a little bit more about my life in Italy and my book itself. It's more about reflections, more about confessions. And I make a contrast between the two worlds, so the Italian side and the Bengali side. Mm-hmm. So what is the biggest takeaway that you want the, the um, audience to take away from after reading your book? What is one thing you want people to learn? So one one of my main goal with the book was to raise awareness because I talk a lot about from the perspective of a South Asian woman and I think there's a lot of expectation being South Asian women or even South, or, or even Asian itself I think there's a lot of expectation from the culture the tradition and so one was that to raise awareness and the second was that you know no matter what you are you don't need to fit in, in a box you don't have to mold yourself to fit somewhere I think my main goal was that you can create your own box you can create your own seat and that was my takeaway message for for everyone I think I just want everyone to live truthfully and authentically basically yeah thank you so much and your your mission really heavily aligns with like the goal of this podcast too as well which is spreading the awareness and letting people know of different ways on how you can um, break through those barriers that has been created for us. So that transitions us to a wonderful topic, which is talking about what was conditioned for you as a young South Asian female. What were your expectations from your family and who you needed to be and what box they wanted you to be in? Yes. So there is a lot of expectation in the terms that my parents always wanted me to be the typical obedient traditional Bengali girl and this is where I feel like there was a lot of conflict within me because I went to a very like I lived and I grew up in a very western society and which was very open-minded based on like freedom as values you know like women are independent women can do whatever they want whereas I grew up in a very conservative and very like strict household where my parents just wanted me to like, you know, wear traditional clothes, be like a, the, the traditional Bengali um, Bengali girls, obedient, you know, studying, uh, like listening to her parents, not going out, not dating, things like that. And so there was a lot of expectation because often I would feel like I was in a spot where I was like, I want to do all these things. But if I do ask for like permission, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a no. And often I, I would like not even ask the question or I would just get a no. So I'm going to give you an example. Um, in Italy, they organize like school trips and they have like school trips. And some, sometimes they, they, they take you like outside of the country and they bring you, let's say, UK or Czech, Czech Republic and you stay there for five days. Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting to do this when I was a kid but I would always get a no because there was this perception that you know you know you might get influenced by the people around you you know they might take you like into the you know the bad road what if they take you to like start smoking drinking like dating guys going to clubbing things like that and so because of that like it was so much like things were forbidden for me so I feel like I was always um I was always in a bubble in a way and mm-hmm. I didn't explore too much of my of what was outside of me. And even when, even when I wanted to hang out with my friends, it was really not 
allowed because I couldn't come home late. And if it was like, let's say coming home at seven, it was considered as in a way forbidden because then there is this perception that if you, if people see you like being outside for too long, then you know people will have a negative perception about you that you're like hanging out too much, enjoying life too much. So these were some of the things that I wasn't allowed to do, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I experienced that too as well. Just coming from a strict Asian household is as as a female, there were certain things that I couldn't do because it was more dangerous to be a female so like no sleepovers no overnighting and I think my brother had my brother had a lot more freedom than I had um because he was he was a male and he could do sleepovers and he could go and stay out later than I can but I'm like the oldest (laughs) so and I have more responsibility so sometimes that kind of crossed over and I felt a lot of frustration in my upbringing of like, okay, well, I have all these responsibilities as like the oldest child, but I don't get the same amount of freedom that perhaps like gender roles, you know, my brother got a lot more freedom than, than I did. So it was very frustrating. Yes. And you know what? I, um, I also felt the same way too. Like I'm an, I'm the oldest, um, I'm the oldest sister and I feel like somehow it was much easier on my sister like I have a younger sister and everything was much easier with her like she was allowed to like go out she was allowed to travel by herself whereas I couldn't do a lot of these things Mm -hmm. and I also felt like like the whole Asian culture I feel like in general it's very like gender stereotyped in a way that I could see like the sons of my of like family friends who had so much freedom like they could go out come home late no one would say anything but if it's a woman doing all these things it's perceived as like negative as like we're somehow perceived or labeled as the bad girl because we're doing all these things even though we're not doing anything bad you know what I mean even for me sleepovers I was never allowed to do any of these things Mm -hmm. exactly I, I agree too I felt like growing up because I challenged so much of like my parents parenting that they're like oh gosh you're just so horrible and like you're such a bad child you just give me so many issues but over certain like certain types of um ability that I had as I grow older like getting my driver's permit and you know when they started recognize it when it came down to my younger siblings they automatically like got those privileges because I had to like fight for them first and get them to relax about it the first mm-hmm. time so yeah it's always kind of difficult being like the eldest child because it's like more scary you like as parents you like don't really think about like oh what kind of risk is associated but everything is just like hyper fearful of like oh what will happen to my child if I let them do this and it's harder for them to let go so yeah I can definitely relate to that too as well mm-hmm. um so let's talk about like your connection with friends and friendship because you 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 mentioned how you struggle to find that sense of belonging with your life in Italy and so what was that like trying to be friends with certain people and you're not allowed to do some of these like social activities perhaps for me it's like no sports um you know only focus heavily on academics so what were your friendships like as you were growing up um, it's funny that you asked me this question because I feel like my circle of friends have changed a lot through time. 
and it changed based on where I was located. So basically, I lived, I would say, a chunk of my life in Italy. And in Italy, we don't have that many immigrants, like at least not when I was growing up. Like, I would say probably 5% of mm -hmm. uh, this school population were immigrants and the rest were, were Italians. Mm. So I mainly had a lot of Italian friends. So people that I would hang out, they were just Italians. And uh, like, for instance, I was not allowed to go, let's say, like, I never had um, activities after school. I never went, let's say, to the gym. I never went to, to the cinema, things like that. So I could not even meet people outside of like my academic life, I would say. And so all my friends were pretty much Italian. So I somehow, I, as the more time I was spending with them, the more I was able to integrate into the culture. And I feel like, in a way, I... I associated myself being Italian for the biggest time, for the longest time. I was like, because I, I feel like I could be myself around them. And they are they are a very open-minded society. So whatever you say, it's okay. And then what happened is when there were a few Bengali girls as well, but I feel like I never were able to click with them mm -hmm. because I had such a like Western mentality that it was hard for me to, you know, read concerns say things that would not offend them for instance and so my friends were mainly Italian and then what happened is when I moved to Canada my circle of friends completely changed it completely changed because I feel like since Canada is so multi multicultural and it's such a melting pot I got to meet people from all over the world mm -hmm. and so my circle of friends just became much more diverse so I had people from like South America Central America America I had people from like all over Asia I had people from Europe so it became a bit more diverse and it gave me more a global perspective whereas when I was in Italy I only had that Italian perspective and I only knew that part and so it shifted in a way when I moved to Canada. And, uh, and now I feel like I'm glad that I had that exposure because I'm able to see the world from a different perspective. Whereas when I was growing up in Italy, I only had one perspective. And even nowadays, I still have a hard time connecting with like the Bengali, like having Bengali friends. And I feel like there's always a clash because I feel like whatever I say, it might just be perceived as, you know, the bad girl or thinking like she's too whitewashed or things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I experienced that too as well because um, just being with, because I'm Chinese American, so I was born and raised in America, but because of that, because I had that strict, um, how like the strict parenting in the beginning I associated everything negative with being Asian so it's like oh I don't want to like you know um, I think Eastern culture is very strict it's like it's um, so suppressing and things like that and I like really was really aligned to like that Western culture it was like about individualism um, versus collectivism and um, being able to like uh, be okay with being different and being yourself and standing out by yourself and looking out for more of yourself where we're trained conditionally as um, in the eastern side oh more thinking about your family as a collective and how your decisions affect your family as a whole and um, I think my relationship too with Asian culture was like for the longest time it was just like I don't like Asian culture like I think it's just so strict and I don't see the point of it. I don't understand it. It's 
super high expectations, you know, things like that. And then it was like, it was only until I realized like, oh, well, I've been suppressing the side of me for so long. I think that I started to realize that when I started hanging out with more Asian people that I was like, oh, wow, I've been kind of racist to myself or like, oh, I've been just thinking that everything Asian has just been so negative. And so then that kind of was like a, a, a breakthrough, a, a barrier for me to understand the different perspectives of like, oh, I've been suppressing this side of me because of all the racism that I've received while living in America, where it's not predominantly Asian, but I've lived in a lot of places where there's not a lot of Asian people. And, um, and that's caused me to inflect some like internal racism, but I, I definitely can relate to like when you go and end up in like that diverse culture and you can hear and ex- accept different people culture, understanding why there are certain things in places, but we're in a wonderful place right now where we're in this generation where we can decide, we can pick and choose what kind of customs that we want to adapt to, what kind of traditions that we want to um, show our future kids or generations on, on what we like and what we don't like. And I think that's just such a beautiful place to be in, just being aware of like, okay, well, this tradition serves me, this custom serves me, and this is what I want to take on moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah. Do you know what? I also shared the same experience because I also, for the longest time, didn't want to be associated to that part of my culture, which was the Bengali side, because I had such a bad experience growing up where, you know, you there were so much restrictions around me. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Or, you know, what will the community say? What will people will say? Things like that. That I was yeah. like, you know what? I almost hate it. I almost mm-hmm. hate it because I cannot be myself. I cannot do whatever I want. But a couple of years ago, I also felt like I had a little bit of shift because I was like, you know what? There is beauty in diversity. And I think I should welcome and embrace that side of me and look at the positive things. So for instance, like things like we have beautiful traditions, we have, you know, still have a beautiful culture the country itself is beautiful yes you have that part of it but it's not everything you know and so I started to embrace that and I just I'm like you know what it's how I want to it's how I want to choose to be uh, it's how I want to be and I can choose to be that and so I also started to embrace it I still leave the negativity and toxicity out of me because it's just it's just a segment it's not everything. And I think it's important to be able to, you know, accept this as an asset and accept this as, uh, you know, something beautiful that makes you, it, that highlights more your strengths. And, uh, and so I also feel like I, I, fe- I also feel like I shared the same experience like you. And now I embrace both of them, which is why I always say like, I am Bengali by blood and Italian by birth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think too, another part of the journey of when you're stuck between, you feel like you're in this third place and everything just seems so like confusing because you have the worldly, you know, um, influence on like who you need to be and things like that. But Mm self-advocacy being so important, which is the art of determining what your needs are um, Mm -hmm. and how to communicate that to others, what you need, what you want. And that's one thing that's not really conditioned just to females in general, because we're just so taught to like serve, take care of other people and not really think about ourselves. 
but I feel like that is a deep-rooted issue and not just in uh, people that are second or third generation, but just women in general. So um, being, putting the focus on, hey, let's start with advocating for yourself and your needs. What are some ways that um, the listener can start building that skill for them? So I do want to add something about that, about what you said is that you're right. I think as female, we're so much conditioned by our surrounding and we're so much thought about being the caretaker, being a people pleaser, especially females, I feel like. And I feel like a lot as well in the South Asian culture, you have a lot of women that are seen as being being the daughter, the daughter-in-law, wife, mother, but you never see them being encouraged to pursue their dreams and ambitions and you never like the role of women in career it's something that it's almost non-existent I feel like you don't see like people never talk about ambitious women people never talk about like female entrepreneurship especially in the South Asian culture and now more and more I start to see a lot of women like taking and controlling their lives and doing whatever they want Um, especially like things like you know being a divorced woman this is seen so negatively in so many South Asian culture that it's almost like you know what you're garbage you're a divorced Mm -hmm. woman you're garbage no one will marry you again and there is so much backlash around that like I also feel like you know people would rather want you to be stuck in an unhappy and abusive marriage because of reputation of the family rather than wanting you to be happy for yourself and I think to add to your point of being an advocate for yourself I think you really have to do a lot of inner work it has to start from doing a lot of inner work and I think therapy could be a one way to find your strength to like let go of these things and pursue your life and I think when you're able to find that when you're able to find your strength your inner voice where you can raise concerns and choose yourself I think you'll be able to like find peace and leave and lead the life that you're uh that you want to have and why I'm saying this because recently I also watched a video about this Bengali girl who is uh, who was in a very abusive marriage and basically everyone around her wanted her to stay in this marriage even though she was unhappy even though it was a very abusive relationship because they were like yeah don't worry it's gonna get fixed in a couple of like years just give it some time mm-hmm. yet she was still suffering and yet everyone around her her family parents they were like no 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 you have to stay in this because you have to save our face luckily she found that strength and she actually let go of everything she kept ties and she's like you know what I feel like I'm much happier with this so I think you have to find the courage to take actions and that comes a lot with inner work and building also community so if you want to like you know advocate for yourself it's good to have mentors it's, it's good to have you know community it's good to ask for help it's good to ask for your friends for opinions and I feel like you can achieve all of this especially if we live in a world where you know anything is possible Yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that because I feel that, you know, just just goes to anyone that um, especially when you have multiple, if you're balancing multiple cultures and the ex- great example that you gave us, like saving face is a huge um, cultural piece where it's like okay you bring shame to the family if if there is a divorce and it's not as casual as like American culture because like American statistics is like 50 percent of 
uh, marriages in a divorce or maybe the rate is even higher at this point but it's more common it's you hear people like you know on their third or fourth marriage um you know and but it is a big deal in in Asian culture to to continue to um to be okay with like that abuse for the sake of your thinking about again your decisions and how that impact your family as a collective unit which is what we kind of talked about earlier some of those conditioning and the training um and it is definitely it's so hard to do what is best for you when you have like everyone external not supporting your decision when the decision just seems very clear for yourself mm -hmm. and to find those mentors a support group or the professional coaches or the therapist to help you get there because sometimes a lot of those comments can feel like you don't have another way mm -hmm. out of it mm -hmm. um and truly it's one of those things where you need to find kind of like that that additional support to help you process what is really happening? What is reality? What is um, those custom customs and those cultural rules that um, has been normalized for centuries and decades, and 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 be able to make decisions that is like best for yourself? But it's really hard to make. I think as a as a female, it's really hard to make decisions just for the benefit of yourself because that's just like such a big thing to try to overcome and navigate on your own. But um but yeah, definitely support I think will help you if you're, you know, the listeners are just thinking about, hey, where do I start? Um and and to think about like, oh, what are some things that I don't feel really great about inside? You know, it always starts with that feeling inside or like, hang on, wait a minute. Like this doesn't really serve me or like why do I feel like this? when you know I'm listening to like other people but it doesn't feel right inside and that's usually kind of like a sign of hey let's baby that's a point where you do some of that inner work to figure out hey is this something that I want to pursue I want to endure mm -hmm. and I think what comes with it is the problem is that because we're so raised in, in pleasing people and just listening to other people that in a way we feel like we're in the wrong and we also feel like we also start feeling guilty around this because we're like, oh, probably I'm the wrong one if everyone else around me is thinking this way. But I think you have to stick, take a step back and be like, okay, is this really serving my purpose? And you have to be okay with the consequences as well. You know, like initially, maybe everyone will talk about, about you and what you did, but I think people are just naturally gossipers they like to gossip about things but then it will just fade away people will not even remember the story so yes people will talk but they will it will stop at some point and then you will think that this was such a bad nightmare so you just have to be ready to face the consequences that comes with it because either you stay in an unhappy place or you just and you have people around you but you're not being supported encouraged and be like mentally be mentally drained by the situation or you just get out of it and be happy with it but with less people and at the end you know it's all about like whoever cares for you will be there for you no matter whatever you whatever what decision you take yeah absolutely I think when people are used to a certain version of you and all of a sudden like it's just like yeah. a big change it, it throws people off um when you're and sometimes you know people are just they just want you to stay the same and they're not as accepting to that because 
they are used to a certain version of you. And when all of a sudden you're just like, okay, no, this is not what I, this is not the role that I want to play. It, Mm -hmm. it throws people off. And that's where like the gossip comes in or like, that's when people start like talking or just raising their eyebrow and they're like, what is going on with this girl? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, and that's okay. Really. It's when you should have the permission to be allowed to change. You should have the permission to try different things that work Mm -hmm. for you. And that's the whole point of life is like being able to be okay with trying something new. If it doesn't work out, then you adapt and you need to shift to um, something else that's better, but it's okay as well. I think in Asian culture too, we're so conditioned to like not wanting to make that mistake and, yeah. uh, and receive that guilt and shame from making those mistakes. And that could be with major life decisions, who you decide to marry, what job you end up taking, um, what kind of path you want to do with your life. And, um, but it is okay to, instead of following that safe path, like that parents or you know, previous generations have encouraged, it's like, I think that typical path would just be like, okay, get a university degree, get that higher education. So, and that's the most safest route that you can go. And Mm -hmm. that brings stability that brings, you know, that, um, that takes the scariness out of life. Mm -hmm. But you just going back to like what you said about entrepreneurship and females going after entrepreneurship, that is a hard route because it's not a very clear path, but um, but that's the most rewarding path because you're creating your own journey. You're kind of like, okay, this is the journey that I want to go. I'm going to try something. If it fails and I'll adapt. And that that's the life that you, that mm-hmm. other people choose. And it's okay mm-hmm. to either choose that traditional path or the non-traditional path, but just really asking yourself if that is what you want out of life. Um, so thank you so much for sharing about that. I want to transition us because we talked about marriages earlier. Before I transition us back to the interview with Yermi, here are some facts that you should know about child marriages. Child marriage is referencing minors under the age of 18 to be able to marry. And the issue with allowing child marriages is it really reinforces um, the poverty cycle if you practice it. And most likely, the female probably won't likely to finish the rest of her schooling because she is forced to be in a particular caretaking role and domestic responsibilities and also likely to experience domestic violence. And also young girls can die of birth complications Um, during pregnancy compared to women in their 20s. One thing too to know as well is that people who marry under the age of 18, 70 to 80% of those marriages ended up in divorce in the States. Now let's take a overview look globally how many people still practice child marriages. So 20% of young women are married before their 18th birthday. In numbers perspective, there are 650 million girls and women that were married as children. Astonishingly, the top five nations that still participate in child marriages is India, 
Bangladesh, Nigeria, Brazil, and Ethiopia. Yermi is from one of the top countries with 51% of girls who still participate in being married under the age of 18. So why do you, why ask, right? Why is this important to know? Because in United States, minors are still allowed to marry under the age of 18. There are only six states so far that has banned all marriages under and before the legal age of 18. Why is this messed up and why is this a problem is because if you have someone who is in a bad situation and they are not at legal age of 18 and they're stuck in a situation like domestic abuse or forced to um, in a bad household, they're not able to A, buy their own car or take out any loans because they are not of age. And if you throw themselves in a domestic situation abuse, they're not able to seek shelters or be able to seek support from shelters because they need to stay within the household, which makes them trapped. So not this isn't even really about the maturity thing, but thinking about all the possible situations, most likely the people who participate in this is in some kind of a poverty situation. Globally, it usually is when the parents have um, allowed their daughter to marry into another family, it is to help pay off debts, is to get gain some income through the, the bride. There are some other cultural norms too as well, and that is just trying to maintain the family honor and preventing premarital sex so that they can feel confident before the marriage happens, um, that their daughter is pure before um, going into another household. Also, religiously, there are some leaders that still endorse minor marriages. And so those are going to be your top three reasons globally why some countries still participate in child marriages. And also reflecting back into the U.S., there are, again, still states that allow minors to get married with the approval of parental consent or... Um, a judge's ruling. So what is it to keep in mind is um, you're putting, when this is allowed, you're keeping and recycling the poverty cycle because you most likely are not going to finish school. You have responsibilities and um, also the maturity gap too as well. Being able to make decisions, not for yourself, but for other people intact, it really affects their mental and emotional and physical well-being. So overall, this should not really be promoted and allowed. And yet we still see modern countries still allow these marriages. So I'm going to go back and invite her back into the conversation. How to empower women and girls to make their voices heard so that they can stay in school. South Asian culture, 
there is um, what you've mentioned earlier, I think child marriages and then arranged marriages. So can you tell us a little bit about the differences between the two? Yes. So basically child marriages is when a girl is given away for marriage at a very young age. So usually it's below 18 years old and it could be like you're 12, 15, you're just given away for marriages. And usually um, it is a practice that is still common in Bangladesh. And the reason being is that women are usually seen as a financial burden. And so because of that, they're just giving away for marriages. Parents or families are not investing into the education of the girls and they're just giving away to marriages because they are seen as being like the caretaker. And this is something that still happens. I volunteer for an organization called Speak Up that's fighting child marriages and they want to promote more they want to have more women out of out of this and they want them to like pursue a career work build their own life and things like that and then there is arranged marriages which is still um it's, it's still there it's still there also like outside of Bangladesh and it's when basically you your parents find a partner for you and this could be at any age honestly and um this is something that, uh, like a lot of, like, like out of a lot of my families got married through ch- arranged marriages because that was the easiest way to find someone. And dating was forbidden. Now things have shifted a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. You still have people that are like dating. Um, they do date openly. They do tell their, their parents. Some others date sec- secretly, and then they, when they're ready for marriage, they tell, "Oh yeah, look, I I had someone for this time." Uh, for this for this land I want to get married to this person so there is love marriage and there is arranged marriage and when it comes to arranged marriages uh, there is this um, thing called the biodata which is sort of like a resume uh, that each candidate prepares and basically you have to write down like what you have studied you have to write down your hobbies what you like you have to write down um, who is the who are the members of your family? What they believe, what they do, and then you give it out, sort of like a resume to potential candidates or families. And then yeah. if there is a match, then they will like, okay, let's have the first encounter. Let's see uh, if the two people like each other. And then if things evolve, um, then they will start like getting families involved. And then if if it's a yes, then they will gonna they will prepare the marriages, the marriage, and. So it's a little bit like that TV show on Netflix uh, with the Sima auntie. I forgot the name, Indian Matchmaking, I think that's how it's called. And that thing, it, it exists. It actually, it is a practice, a very common practice in India. It's a common practice in Bangladesh. Um, I also have seen it with my sister too. She has a biodata <laughs> and, she's, and she's giving it out. Like my parents are giving it out to people to see if, you know, if they can if they can find a potential uh, partner for her one help but wonder um why even per person practice um what is the true meaning of marriages and what was the point of it back in the past and so marriage marriages were practiced in the past for couples to wed to make political alliances to raise capital to get additional income um, and to expand the workforce to provide for the family back in the day. That includes like farming, taking care of the home, things that you need a lot of children and more hands on to continue to provide and grow your own food. But now, focus has now transitioned over to the focus on 
marrying for love. And that idea really isn't introduced until the late 18th century to 19th century during the American and French Revolution that more people were enlightened and they wanted to involve and marry for the thought of love. So that is the evolution of um, practices that was set all in the past. And obviously we have a couple of countries, uh, still a handful of countries that um, ended up in marriages, not for the sake of love, because that's what we're all trained and conditioned to, but there's still places in the, in the world where child marriages is practiced for the purpose of trying to um, get out of poverty, religious practices, and as well as cultural norms that allow minors to be married under the age of 18. It's, it's an actual issue trying marriages uh, because you're just getting away girls out of marriages at such a young age and they, they, have, they don't understand anything about life. And it happens also in um, in Pakistan and I think in other countries too, not just like in South Asian part. Yeah. Um, I don't know the percentage if I have to tell the truth. I have to look it up and, and find yeah. out. But I think it's pretty high because there are organizations that are fighting for, for it. They want to literally eliminate child marriages. So, Right. The organization, what, you know, you mentioned, you know, um, letting the females know hey there's an alternative um awareness that hey you can pursue you know these things letting them getting access to like the education piece so that they can um have that education the confidence to be able to figure out what they need and um but that is that is just so just blows my mind (laughs) that um that that still leans really close to your to your culture and it's still being still being practiced Mm -hmm. um the other question with like arranged marriages uh which is um I feel like it's more common and obviously there's a tv show about it on Netflix I'll give you guys the name it's called Indian matchmaking when someone goes through arranged marriages and I'm thinking about the aftermath and going through the whole process with arranged marriages to with with the marriage with someone that you barely know and not know like one of the biggest things is like okay how does my partner deal with conflict and you don't know like how they deal with conflict but how do you prevent having divorces do you just continue to endure because if you're just judging someone by a photo and a couple words on the paper how do how do people continue to um make their marriages work that's the thing there is no option of like because basically in the past when people would just say yes and get and get married they will start getting to know each other right after marriages and whether you like it or not people endure that Mm -hmm. people were they made that choice they accepted it no matter what the situation was Nowadays, you you still have a little bit of that, but I also feel like it's never enough to get to know a person. Like a month or two months, it's not enough. Yeah. And so people just take the time after marriages and they just go with it. I mean, I have seen a lot of marriages like that that have worked, but you also have the other way too. So it's really, it depends on the situations. Um, I think 
some people were taught not to like go against it that's another thing too Mm. yeah what about marriage counseling is that like is that um is that advocated for let's say you do have some issues (laughs) with your partner with communication and things is it okay to seek mental health like resources to help get through those marriages no again if you if you have any issue it's a family thing so everyone just tries to fix it uh, for you Um, and it's a little bit like with therapy in general general like they don't see this as an issue like if you are having mental health issues it's more like oh you're just sad it's a moment in your life it's gonna go away so no one ever advocates to like okay let's go and see a therapy and the same with marriage counseling it's not a thing it's not a thing at all it's like let's just get all together let's talk about it and again it's a family matter it's never a thing about couples so your sister is going through this arranged marriage method and and she wants to go through it and you don't right do you are you open to that type of marriage or are you against it too I'm neither or nor I think either way works I think I I think it's okay to have a love marriage. I also think it's okay to to have, it's okay to have an arranged marriage. Um, I also think that if you are someone who's looking for an arranged marriage, so a lot of people go with an arranged marriage because they're just so desperate and they haven't found anyone in the market or maybe they had like failing relationships so they take that route. And I've seen people taking that route because it's like, it's the easiest one. I will just let my parents choose for me. and I'm not totally against it because I've seen that I have also seen people of my age going through that and they were able to work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just being lucky when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am more towards love marriages, but also those ones, they, they don't work as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, you can love someone, but then after a couple of years, things change. So they both have pros and cons, I feel. Okay. But you've had said that um, it's when people date for love, do you do it behind the parents back yeah. and like, don't really tell them about it. Yeah. And that's when you're like, oh, well, this isn't working out for me. Okay. Parents choose for me. I'll just go the arranged marriage route because I've had like 50 bad dates Yes, or something. Okay. Yes. But traditionally, so it's like people are sneaking behind yes. the new generation are sneaking behind the, the parents back and dating to figure out, you know, to navigate it on their own. And then when they are finally at the point of disappointment, too much disappointment, they just go the range of marriage route. Yeah. Or you know what? It could still work. And then you're like, okay, I'm ready to go to tell my parents that I have met this person. And then that's how you come forward with it. So it really depends. It really depends on the situation, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so if let's say if your parents like really don't want you to date and they want you to go the arranged marriage route and you're like no I don't want to do arranged marriage I just want to figure out on I just want to date for love does that like does your parents want to disown you for making that decision like are there no. certain parents that are just like no you have to do arranged marriage no and now I think things have changed a little bit so they give you that sort of freedom of like okay let's let I, let let um let us give you some time um, find it on your own. And then once you're ready, come up with this, come 
home with this person so that we can meet this person because and that's another issue is that in South Asian culture usually they see women being accomplished when they get married that's another issue so they would want you to like be married because that for them in their eyes it's an accomplishment for women and so um, if they're so desperate they will give you that freedom of like okay go find someone if you don't want to have an arranged marriage and then come and introduce us to this person and then we will see from there how we feel about the person yeah yeah okay one more question about marriage <laughs> what what so is there a push for certain bengali parents to stay within the same cultural or religious background um, and how are they opposed to um, receiving someone else from a different culture in, into marriage? Like, what is what is normalized? So <laughs> that's a very good question. I would say that majority of parents, they want the potential person to be within the same religion and within the same uh, ethnicity background. Mm. Being outside of the religion, being outside of the ethnicity, it's a big no-no. Like no no yeah however I have seen a little bit of like open-minded parents who were okay with having a Muslim person who's not Bengali but it's it's really rare I feel like it's it's not rare I mean I see the, the shift but I would say that the more strict and conservative parents they still want you to find someone from the same ethnicity and the same religious background Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to like, okay, what will people say if you find someone outside of the ethnicity? Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot about like what other people will think of you as a family or judge you as a family and mm-hmm. when it comes to marriage decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Wow. I just learned so much and I appreciate you sharing your, your knowledge, your wisdom and your experience. Um, we're coming up on time and I just want to give you some time to tell the listeners how people can find you, connect with you, find your book. Yes. So I have a blog. It's called myways.ca. I also have a YouTube channel. It's called Urmi Hossain. Um, I have a LinkedIn profile, which is called Urmi Hossain. And then my book is available on Amazon and it's called Discovering Your Identity, A Rebirth from Interracial Struggle. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. And then her information will be in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can find her information there too as well. So thank you so much for sharing. It was so nice to meet you and you sharing your experiences. I think that we've learned a lot about um, having that diverse background, embracing the diversity and your journey of how you identify and figured out what your identity is. And that's just so important for everyone to reflect and think about what identity you want to lead with and what customs, what cultural values you want to continue on in your life. And just seeing like the past traditional ways and how that affects your future and being able to decide that obviously marriage is a big topic on marrying for love versus arranged marriages. And there's obviously like, as a big decision, it's a big risk, but understanding like the different traditional routes that people have Um, pursued versus you know how you currently date for love Um, it's just opens our minds to all the different possibilities as well so thank you so much again for your time today and um, I'll, I'll catch you all next week thanks everybody